Welcome to Lectionary Call-In for Tuesday, October 11th of 2022, where two laypersons, a pastor, and an academician gather for about 45 minutes each week to discuss the Gospel Lectionary for the coming Sunday. And this Sunday is October 16th. Each Tuesday, we call in from wherever we may be at 6.30 a.m. Eastern Time. And, of course, in Minnesota, for our friend Charles Willard, it's 5.30 a.m. Our little team's working to be faithful to Lectionary Year C. That puts us in the Gospel of Luke on Sunday. And we hope this discussion will provide areas of focus and reflection. Here's how it works. We develop perspectives independently during the week after the lead-off person shares some formative questions. And then in this virtual discussion room, we share, encourage, and challenge each other. And here are the folks joining us in today's discussion. Sarah Mickelson in Tampa. Chucky Wucky down in up in Minnesota. Bill Hall in St. Petersburg, Florida. And I'm Don Upton in Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, our scripture today uh, continues our study in Luke. It's Luke 18, 1 through 8. And I'm using the New Revised Standard Version. Uh, Let's begin. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray and always and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city... There was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city, there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Grant me justice against my opponent. For a while he refused, for a while he refused, but later he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge said. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And that's the word of the Lord. I've got uh, three questions for, uh, for for, for us today. Uh, and the first one goes to uh, the character, the extreme character of a judge. So I'm going to read verse 2 and 4 again just to emphasize that. Uh, verse 2, he said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. And in verse 4, for a while he refused, but later he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone. And then it goes on from there. So I'm going to go to Sarah Mickelson first with uh, uh, question number one. Those verses I just read, verses two and four, establish that the judge has no fear of God and no respect for people. I'd say it establishes kind of like a like a sledgehammer. It says it twice. Why is this extreme characterization necessary in this parable for the first and the 21st century listener or reader? What in the entire parable depends on or is improved for import by this extreme. I I think today we might say the judge was a narcissistic atheist and a sociopath. Why such extremes, Sarah? I think it's important to set two things alongside each other and compare them in this story. I think the story sets us up in doing just this. And so, I, I think it's a technique that we use often in parables and in, in the gospel narrative, um, the 
synoptic gospels specifically of here's the situation and we're going to look at an alternative situation and compare them together and contrast them. So we have what I would consider a really good example of earthly discernment or uh, someone who's, who's sitting in a position of being a judge. And there's some direct instructions from Deuteronomy on how judges are supposed to behave and who they're supposed to give mercy and, and, and special consideration to. And those are widows and orphans. So those two things are, are to be given more consideration than less. And here we have a judge who has a defiant streak. He's, he's committed to just ignoring the situation. And it goes on to say, I mean, the, we have the, the judge actually giving us a conversation um, that he um, has no fear or respect, fear of God or respect for any woman, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, and the language there, I always liked it when um, our friend Bill um, would talk about this because he would say this language is like giving somebody a black eye. He uses this very physical translation of this particular original text to say this woman and her persistence is changing the tenor of his reputation in the community. So she, in, in, by being vocal about what he is doing wrong and not giving her her justice, she is changing his, the, the, the whole community's opinion of this judge and is, is besmirching his good name, so to speak. So I kind of like this whole um, notion of here's the person who is the most vulnerable in this culture, and she, through the agency of her voice, is affecting this judge who welds much power. Um, it's interesting that one of the commentators I really drew from this week or that resonated with me was Francisco J. Garcia from WorkingPreacher.org. Um, he quotes Frederick Douglass. says, power concedes nothing without a demand. I love that. That fits so nicely with this particular story. And so I, I kind of want to say, I think this invites people to compare and contrast. What does earthly justice look like and what does heavenly justice or divine justice look like? Um, I think first, the unjust judge who does not fear God and begrudgingly grants justice to the completely vulnerable widow who can give him a black eye needs to be compared with God who will quickly grant justice to those who ask. But this story is about prayer. So I'm going to fall back into be, that, be thoughtful about that as we approach this whole story. The second thing we have is the Paschal Lamb and living sacrifice who gives everything to redeem all of us, even before we know to ask for forgiveness. And those who will persist on earth are also being compared so we have Jesus who steps forward in what I would call a full faith action, looking for an echo of that in the population of people that will persist on earth after the whole thing passes. And how does that factor into prayer? I think without the relationship, the judge won't be changed. 
I think without the relationship, humanity won't be changed. So if you're not in a conversation on a regular basis with the Creator, I don't know how this will change your heart. But if you are in a regular conversation with the Creator, this is going to be, this will be that rock that gets cracked open by the tree that's growing through it. That's as simple as that. Back to you, Don. Thank you. (laughs) Bill Hull, what do you think? Why such extremes with this character? Uh, It's good that I think we start with this question, Don. And, Sarah, I'll give you a heads up. Here comes one of my both ands. Mm -hmm. I think it is extreme and not extreme. First of all, the not extreme. The, The distance in... Uh, the the level of power and vulnerability I don't think is exaggerated in this story, Don. The woman in that culture was basically powerless. Um, we don't know and don't need to know, and the power of the parable is it's a story. We all understand Jesus isn't saying this actually happened. He's setting up a story for a purpose. So I don't think that's extreme. Uh, but you're right. There's a there's a great exaggeration. <laughs> doesn't like people. Doesn't respect people. Doesn't respect God. What a toxic combina- combination that is. And here's this woman. Her only power is to keep coming and demanding. And I think you alluded to this, Sarah. It's clear throughout the Old Testament that she should have been treated with particular care the vulnerable, the widow, the orphan. We know that over and over again that that is stress. Kind of a measure of kings and uh, others in the Old Testament was how did they treat uh, these vulnerable people. Now, again, one can make too much of a detail, but we have the liberty here of talking about what impact it makes. It strikes me that the widow appears alone, right, in the story. There's no indication of her women friends coming with her or what now. Undoubtedly, if you want to press the story, she had support, but she comes alone. Her only support and advocacy comes within herself. In today's world, we talk about having agency. She could have convinced herself she had no agency, and I'll say more about that in the, the later questions. Um, and, Sarah, you, you picked up on the uh, it's possible to – Mark Davis translates this. The judge is upset because she may attack him is the word Mark Davis used. Uh, others do the <clears throat> black eye uh, translation. It, I don't know why the – New Revised Standard Version softens this language so. Uh, but anyway, it, in Greek, it's very powerful language. Um, and I think that, Don, back to the exaggeration question. Uh, I think Jesus' characterization of both persons is critical. The judge's lack of compassion and the with a serious plight and her persistence. Uh, I think it is powerful that we're not told the content 
of her issue, right? Therefore, whatever issue uh, of justice uh, is is alluded to, um, and in working preacher Brittany Wilson uh, wrote uh, about this parable, we are to resist injustice with the resolve and constancy of the widow. I think, uh, and Sarah, you reminded us this is about prayer, and next week will also be about prayer, the the following passage in Luke, um, that um, prayer has to do with finding a pathway to action. And in a sense, I think Jesus wants to tell us if we need to do this, the hero of this story is the widow, not the judge. And she's an example of constancy and persistence. Back to you, Don. Sarah, you you, uh, said, I think uh, it helps establish what justice looks like. And I'm I'm with you on that. And I also think you were saying to understand it, you need a relationship with the gospel or something like that. Otherwise, you don't you don't get it. And uh, there's a funny exclusivity about that. that I think is really kind of exciting. I want to get into every time I read this, it gets darker and wilder and scarier for me. And I think that's the intent Um, that the, the extremes are here. So it can be a stormy, wild ride. Um, And for those that are uh, preparing for classes or to moderate a class, I think just to character, to even add on to the universe that Jesus is creating here in terms of the judge, the court, and the city. Because it says, in a city, there is a judge. And so I, I think the whole ecosystem, the whole community, is characterized by the behavior of the judge. I'm going to make it even bigger. Here is a universe. I'm creating, in 21st century language, I'm creating a new universe here. And in that universe, because of the judge's character, it is filled with arbitrariness. The court is arbitrary. The man is arbitrary. And since it's a city, I kind of picture walls. In this universe, Jesus says, in this universe, it is arbitrary, scary. In this world, there is zero empathy. Empathy serves no purpose. In this universe... We establish that self-interest rules the day. Selfishness rules the day. The law is framed by selfish motives. That the randomness abounds in the universe of the city. The randomness of the human heart, of power, and of the judge. Boy, it's chilling now. Yipes. Uh, And the whole city is, I believe, characterized by this person. And most of all, it is impersonal. No story, no empathy, no story to be told because it doesn't matter what your story is. But here she is. uh, I'll use the word fiat too, characterized by fiat. So I think it's a whole universe and it's dark and wild. And I'm going to use the analogy of the storm, bad weather, because I think that works for the gospel too, stormy. She's thrown about in the storm. I mean, you can connect that with all kinds of things in the gospel. I could connect it with Jesus being bound and captured and tried. All control is lost. There's chaos. Think about the depths, the deep waters, 
the meaninglessness of, of justice in the face of power, chaos in the score. And then, and I think that's it for me. I mean, just to establish that allows me to dive into this in a new way. Uh, the fact of her presence, the fact that there is this nugget of not just her advocating for what is just for herself and and telling her story in the face of this universe, that small, that mustard seed, I mean, you know, the smallness, it just kind of pulls the gospel in, that it is there and it, it triumphs even in this arbitrary, cold, wild, chaotic, chaos like the beginning of time, chaotic universe. So that's my starting point. Charles Willard, what do you think in terms of the extreme of this character? I don't know what to make of it. I mean, it, it starts out and it tells us in the very beginning of their need to pray and always always to pray and not to lose heart. And yet it's the story as it unrolls is about frustrated prayer. Frustrated prayer that is finally um, not because the widow has such a fashionable uh, prayer that was, you know, was attractive to the the unjust judge, but because it was annoying and it was repetitive, and he had no way to get rid of it except to grant it. And you know, for me, then that raises other kind of questions. What does it mean he has no way to get rid of? It? He could just tell the people at the gate not to let her in, or when she got let in, got you know, sent to the back of the line or at the end of the hall or somewhere else where he wasn't going to be have to worry about her, you know, de- dealing with her. So I'm not sure what we're trying to do here. It says at the beginning, uh, their need to pray always. Well, that was what she was doing and not losing heart. So she got this prayer answered. So she was going to be back there the next day with another prayer. And the, the unjust judge is going to say, what is this? And he's going to worry about, you know, having having set a precedent for himself, which he's now stuck with, or not, depending upon how unjust is unjust. I've been reminded by my wife that I have to go do something else. It's a little bell. You can't, probably can't hear, but it just goes off. When she presses the, the button in there, it goes off in here and says, get up and get in here and do something. So I'll, I'll be back. Put your phone on mute while you do that, and uh, thank you, Charles. Uh, well, uh, th- this is a good place to turn the page. Uh, Bill Hall, well, I'm coming, dear. talk about justice. What's the nature of justice in this parable? Um, excellent question. Uh, I think it reflects both the process as well as the nature of justice and injustice. Um First of all, it clearly reminds us, I've already in effect said this with question one, that the nature of injustice is the contrast between the powerful and the weak, or at least the seemingly weak. Um, if, if I may use a personal example, my first pastorate out of seminary was as an assistant pastor at First Presbyterian Church, Lumberton, North Carolina where Sybil and I lived in and ministered in a low-income community three miles from this large, wealthy church. 
and I lived in two worlds, and they were in some ways two worlds. So we lived in a low-income community, and quickly people began to complain to their pastor that they were not being listened to by the city leaders. So I had what I thought was a good idea. As you may know, voter registration is public information. So I got a printout of the voter registration for the area in which I was living in that low-income community and discovered that virtually no one in the worship, the chapel, was registered to vote. So I began to promote voter registration, clearly nonpartisan, absolutely nonpartisan. And then some people began, and it spread to the larger community, and people began to advocate that I run for city council. And my response was, no, you need to find your own voice. And they saw themselves as powerless, but and, and no magic occurred, Don, but it, it, at least I began to seek to convince them that they needed to speak for themselves and find candidates from among their own. So I think that's, that's why I said seemingly weak. This widow <laughs> was anything but weak. Um, and it reminds us that leaders, not only judges, are capable of being uncaring and unresponsive to issues of justice. Um, and much of what is recorded in the Hebrew scriptures about the prophets is how systemic and persistent injustice is. Every Sunday when the children's sermon is starting in worship at Palmasia Presbyterian Church, we sing Micah 6-8, <laughs> do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God. Um, and I, I mentioned already that I think it's helpful that we don't know the nature of the injustice, just that it was threatening to the widow. And one might assume in that com culture that her accuser was male. I like a phrase, a sentence from David Lose's article on this uh, parable. Quote, in this case, insolent, obnoxious, and even intolerable behavior results in justice. <laughs> Insolent, obnoxious, intolerable. Those of us who work in Pinellas County with FAST and you folks in Hillsborough with HOPE, uh, an interfaith, nonpartisan, grassroots justice ministry, know well the kind of resistance that we encounter from the powers that be. And it reminds us, of course, of civil disobedience and Martin Luther King's nonviolent civil disobedience, that even breaking the law may be necessary, and accepting the consequences of that may be necessary for justice. Back to you, Don. Thank you. I'm uh, going to try to link it to the, the first question, is, is there justice? And I think this this is pushing it to where I can't find it. And I, for the first time I've read this, I I think there could be an absence, or it's so broken, it's so torn apart in this universe that Jesus has said, picture a city, that it, the, one of the extremes is it's hard to find it. 
but it's there. It's that nugget that's there. So without getting into a lot of legal theory, you know, justice, it, they just think in the American system is, did you get what the law provides? Did the system provide you the process of justice? And what and, and and did you go did did the process you go through and the result conform to the law as written as policy, yes or no, and uh, and here that doesn't seem to be possible at all, and then the other is does the, with the law or not does it conform with our ideal? It could be the the law of God. Uh, at the the uh, the equity that we would expect that a system would deliver, whether it does or not, does it conform with the law? Well, so we in our history we call it the law of nature in terms of um, uh, the courts. Does it conform with the law of nature, whether or not the process is supposed to deliver it or not? And in both cases, it fails almost completely. She gets it. Is that nugget there? But I think kind of back to the stormy world. Just fundamentals, just looking at the 21st century is, you know, does it conform to the law? The law is lost. Even if there's a person charged with doing it, Sarah, you pointed that out. There's this scripture here that it's in the minds of people of what a judge is supposed to do. It's completely torn to pieces, torn apart. And does it conform? Can you get to the ideal itself, which would be the grace, in this case, the coming grace of God, the, the the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. No, you know we can't do it ourselves. It it's there. We see a nugget of that, but it. I think this also goes to the extreme. The nature of justice here is torn is torn to pieces. How about you, Sarah? What are you thinking about the nature of justice in this parable? I think the judge represents the law in this story. He represents a form of, of, of law without the gift of mercy that comes with it. So, if you will, this is the world without God's interaction. This is the world that, in the best possible scenario, the only reason the woman, the widow, gets any opportunity for justice is because she is persistent. She is annoying. She is continual, continually in the center of the city speaking loudly about the fact that the judge is not listening to her petition. And, you know, I never imagined that this woman had been wronged by a man or a woman. I think the, the woman's being wronged by the system. And in in the same way that people of color were wronged by our system in the civil rights era, and they're continually being wronged by our system because we haven't fixed the system. So I'm, I'm paying attention to the persistence is what gets the judge to take action. So enter the story with, Jesus telling us that that God hears our cries for justice, for law, for mercy, and is taking action on them in a much faster and and much more deliberate way than this judge was. So we have that compare and contrast. 
here's earthly law and justice without the mercy, without the sacrifice, without the commitment to care and concern. And then we have Jesus telling us that that the Creator hears us, interacts with us, and brings mercy to us faster than this judge, faster than the world can deliver. And we know that because we have evidence of that in the mercy that follows and the grace that comes. So I, I think there's something interesting here about the nature of justice. That earthly justice is not the same as divine justice, yet both things move toward fairness, toward the, taking action for the law and, and, and being merciful. Um, one does it with, with what I call great um, res, uh, so, um, defiance, and one does it with with practically, you know, overflowing um, abundance. So I think that there's an interesting juxtaposition there. Um, it seems that both actions are a direct response to prayer. Because if we're not persistent in our praying, we don't have a clear understanding of what is needed, right? It's like if I don't ask my kids, what are you hungry for? They never realized they were hungry. They were just unreasonable, short-tempered, cranky. Um, they They were rude. They were very disruptive. I said, okay, I can see that you're hungry. Let's talk about something to eat. Let me cut an apple while we have this conversation. I'll give you part of the apple. And it changes the dynamic because the child didn't even know that that's what they needed. So I think in this case, we have to have a conversation and and have the right conversation with the right judge, in this case, to have our petitions heard and our, our, our injustices resolved. Thank you, Sarah. Well, let's get on with our uh, our final question. Sarah, this is going to come back at you in a second. And and the reason I I raised this question this week is I want to put myself into it as I've read it over the years, that it's, it's, uh, it's confusing. It's so extreme and the world is so torn apart. I, I I fear I lose my way in it. And so I provide an open-ended question for everybody, which is provide your personal meditation on the shift from the dispensing of justice by the judge in verses 7 and 8. You know, he has no respect for God. He has no empathy, et cetera. Um, and if you need a prompt, what, what would you say to a reader who indicates that they are confused about the persistence and the arbitrary granting of justice versus crying out to God? in the final verses, because in the final verses, here comes God, here comes the creator. And uh, one of the things that was jumping out to me during this was uh, I I had never thought about looking at her as she tells her story to a careless world that doesn't care. She tells it, she tells it, she tells it. That voice in the wilderness, there it is, voice crying out. Psalms are there, crying out, how long till I get justice in a universe with no justice, just arbitrariness, how long? 
And so I realized I do see her. Thank you, Jesus. I see her. I hear her. I have empathy. And I hadn't thought about, well, that nugget of the crying out for equity and justice and the individual, and I think the four of us were diving in because we see her. And that's a, it's all right. I mean, I, We see her. Jesus wants us to feel it. We're the only one in that universe, dear reader, who actually sees her. And I'm wondering if that that frustration, that urge, that fear to look in that universe like that, the hurt that I feel, and it's a scary place, right? If you've ever been subjected to arbitrariness, it's it's the worst. Uh, Is that the Jesus in me? Is that am I getting to get a touch of what the Christ is like? I mean, I'm not, I'm not Jesus. I'm not, but we're supposed to connect, right? And then he goes, "Here I am. You look upon her, and you will know my heart too." I'm wondering if that's the case, and if that's if that's it, then this goes from the more difficult parables for me to one that. Can- the, the ship on the lake, the ship on the sea, the lost coin, the lamb, one of 100, that disappears, the persistence, and even Lazarus dead for three days. What good, what use, what hope is there? He's been dead already. Sarah, what about you? What do you, what do you think about this leap to, to the creator? I think that... Um... What I really like about this is in a world where the creator's not present, there is justice. So how much more justice is there in a world when the creator does participate? So it may be a perspective. If you are not looking for the creator, you don't see him every day or her. But if you are looking, you're going to be seeing so many affirmations of interactions where where the Creator's hand molds the world around you and you don't even see it. I mean, that's one of the things that I like about this. Like suddenly, when you can see color, you see color everywhere, if there's such a thing as that. So I liked um, the presence of um, justice as a, a, a witness bearer, if you will, to the creator's interaction with, with the world where I persist. So um, what would I say to a reader who indicates they're confused about the persistence and the arbitrary granting of justice versus crying out? I'd say welcome to the world because I think that we live in a world frequently that seems... Um, absent of the evidence of mercy, the evidence of grace going on around you. And if you are praying persistently to see evidence of that, you will start to see it and see it everywhere. And I can confirm that (laughs) with full faith that I bet you won't get an hour into that conversation asking for evidence of mercy and grace or you don't see it. So I'm going to go with confirmation bias here and go, if you are looking for mercy, you will find it. If you are looking for a world absent of that, you will find it. 
it has to do with what you're looking for. So I think it's a perspective-driven understanding or participation with the creator. And um, I think that the demonstration of pursuing justice is a necessary part of what is meant to live, how we live ethically in this world in relationship to God. That without an understanding of what mercy and grace are, we are like that judge and not not like the creator. And that we are asked to become engaged participants in the pursuit of justice for the vulnerable, for the overlooked, for the unnamed. And that's part of why we're here. Thank you. Bill Hall, this shift from the the story that's being told into God's world at the end. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it's it's rather abrupt. And I think, again, there's some extreme quality here. This unjust judge with no respect for anything or anybody. And in the two verses you refer to, 7 and 8, which conclude our passage, says God, I'm going to paraphrase it my way, God is saying, I will grant justice. I won't delay. I will do it quickly. You know, case closed. I am a God of justice. That's what I want. And then this, yet when the Son of Man comes, we find faith on earth. Here's what came to my mind, and I'm not a skilled movie critic. This, The two movies I'm referring to may or may not be considered great cinema. Um, but the Oh God series, I think there were two of them, George Burns and uh, John Denver. George Burns was God, and he is um, meeting John Denver. I believe he was a grocery store manager or something. There's this, and John Denver saying, God, why don't you fix things? Why don't you do something? And God says to George Burns, I did do something. I created you and others. I gave you the capacity to use our language today. John Denver, you've got agency. You can do something. I, I found that movie funny and delightful, but also profound. I think that's at the heart of this story, uh, Don, because to me, faith involves action. You may have heard the old joke of the new uh, monk at the monastery, and he's paired up with an older monk who's been there for decades. And in their tradition, they did work at, at the monastery as well as pray. And the young a monk is complaining to the older one, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't come here to hoe oh, weeds out of the garden, which was his task. I came here to pray without ceasing. And the older monk's response was, please pray without ceasing. And while you're doing it, keep hoeing. <laughs> Prayer won't remove the weeds. Your hoeing will remove the weeds. And to me, a key in this is in verse 1, do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. Um, and uh, it speaks of crying to God day and night. Uh, it reminds me, the, one of the Old Testament passages in the lectionary this week is from Genesis 32, Jacob wrestling with God. That you talk about a strange story. <laughs> Here is God is... We talked about boxing. This is a wrestling God. 
But the outcome of that persistent wrestling was transformation. Jacob got a new name. Now, he walked away wounded, which I think is a whole other story of sometimes there are wounds involved in transformation. Uh, I I will leave it there. I think this is a very powerful um, story, and thank you for your questions again, Don. Thank you. And before we say goodbye, uh, let's go to Charles Willard to see if uh, you had any thoughts about this leap from the city to uh, to the, to our creator, Charles. I always learn. I learn from the text. I learn from y'all. Thank you very much. Thank you, Charles. We learn from you, and thank you for what you're doing. Uh, before we say goodbye, I just want to remark that. Uh, for the listeners and we have over 10,000 downloads now and thank you for listening uh, and we appreciate your comments and uh, your encouragements as we go through each church calendar that uh, you were talking about ho- going ahead with, with hoeing going on about the business of life and I I think that's important and to note that you know when it says don't lose heart means the opposite too which is sometimes we're in the process of losing heart and that's why we're all together to read these things and to remind each other and to, to, to don't lose heart. But I didn't want to finish without going. This is addressing the fact that we are in the process sometimes of losing heart. Uh, and I think that's why we're together. And I also want to say as we go about hoeing, uh, I won't get in the details, but we, without apology, allow life to go on. As we record this, my work is right in front of me. I've got a busy day. Every Tuesday, my wife comes in through the front door after running, and I hear her. And you might hear her too, listener. Sarah has a a sweet dog that's right at her feet, I believe, Sarah. And you hear (laughs) that dog cry out. Oh, how long will this podcast go on before you can pat me? And her dog is there. And Bill Hall, if you're not looking at a Zoom, uh, is not in his usual location because there was a hurricane, and his house is a little mildewy and moldy and needs to be refreshed and he's in a different place life goes on and charles willard is managing his household and the care that he's providing uh every every time we're together he's doing that and so without apology we're making sure life goes on because we have no choice and that we're working to build each other up and not lose heart that's part of our podcast too and we thank you for being a part of our family palmasia presbyterian church is at 3501 west san jose street that's in tampa florida and for more information you can go to palmacia.org. That's P-A-L-M-A-C-E-I-A.org. We commend that site to you. Great sermons, studies, prayers. I would say innovative prayers, meditations on the business of the day and going on about the daily life that we, we are challenged with every day. Uh, outstanding music, a chance to take communion, differences of opinion like we have here sometimes, so we commend that to you. And you're always welcome. And we'll see you next time.